Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Steve Rivard, one of the founders of Iroquois Valley Farms in Evanston, Illinois. And um, one of the reasons I'm really excited about this interview today is because both myself and so many others I've spoken with, and not just in North America either, um, have been emphasizing that there's a massive gap between young people, particularly young, young wannabe farmers, and access to land to actually go out there and do things. And this is exactly what Iroquois Valley Farms has set itself up to bridge. So without further ado, um, welcome, Steve. Hello, and, good morning, and afternoon to you. <laughs> yeah, this is, we, we have a, a little time difference here. Yeah. Um, I, I'd like to ask you to, to just give us a little bit of the background of, of the, the concept and the mission of Iroquois Valley Farms, and then maybe talk a little bit about um, how you yourself decided that this was something you would, that you needed to throw yourself into. So your motivation, I guess. Yeah, the, the business, the business um, of Iroquois Valley Farms started really as a concept between my really lifelong friend, uh, Dave Miller. He was my college roommate uh, at Loyola University uh, in Chicago. And we, we sat having coffee and he um, had wanted to buy a farm and wanted to make it organic. And he wanted to, to talk to me about the idea of organic. And um, as we spoke and drank coffee for several hours, uh, the, the whole concept of uh, Iroquois Valley Farms, although it wasn't Iroquois Valley in its first iteration, uh, began to foment. Um, Dave, from his perspective, because uh, he had had been in uh, banking and finance for about 30 years. Um, I had been in medicine for equally as long. And he simply wanted to change um, or, or offer an alternative investment for people to um, you know, use their investment money to do something meaningful. And the meaningful was to buy farmland and um, effectively change it from uh, conventional back to organic, meaning no herbicide, pesticide, and uh, no genetically modified organisms as seed. Um, that resonated with me as a physician because having gone through a fast myself, I, I came to the awareness, perhaps the conclusion, but the awareness, personal awareness, that my body changed dramatically when I stopped eating um, certain foods. I didn't really appreciate prior to that how truly significant the food that we ate, that we eat, 
uh, daily have uh, the effect that it has on us. Um, so I, you know, sort of in an aha kind of moment, thought um, that that if we were to develop this this concept and this business, um, that we could offer better health um, for the healthcare system of America, which I personally think must change. So after a few iterations, um, and because we started in the uh, Illinois County of Iroquois, Iroquois, uh, we eventually became Iroquois Valley Farms. And um, we happily, not by original intent, I think, but happily uh, became one of the, our main farmer right now is Millennial. So we are offering Millennial farmers access to land so that they can farm with an evergreen lease, meaning if they put the effort into making the conversion from non-organic to organic, then they're assured that they can stay on that land and perhaps eventually buy the land. Um, but it's a safe place for them to be. And at the same time, um, uh, perhaps acre by acre, uh, increasing the amount of organic food uh, back to the population to improve our overall health. So that's a bit of a, of a beginning on uh, how we got going. Uh, my, uh, my focus was, was that um, the healthcare system in America as I see it, and as I've experienced it over the last almost 40 years, uh, needs to change because most of our um, lack of health in this country is food related. Most of our health, I suppose, is also food related, but to say that better, we have to change what we eat and the way that we eat in order to have a healthier and less costly healthcare system. So that was a bit of my intention to organizing this and getting this off the ground. So, so that's pretty timely in terms of the whole conversation around it healthcare in the US. Yeah, we started in 2007. So we've been, we've been at it for 10 years and uh, going on 11, which is very exciting. And uh, we've been growing ever since. And was like you mentioned your aha moment. Um, so that aha moment was what is they call when they talk about the goddess Aphrodite, right? She sprang fully formed from the forehead of Zeus. <laughs> was it like that? Was it that kind of aha where you could where you could see the whole system there and you could see that relationship between the soil and the food and the health system and, and, the, and the individuals? Or did it come to you more in a kind of opportunistic way where you were talking about, well, let's get people able to farm again? and then you connected this other story you're carrying around the relationship between food and health. I suppose it happened, um, it happened uh, a bit of both, but for myself, and, 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 and I appreciate that it's anecdotal, but for myself, um, I simply went on a fast. I had no intention uh, uh, other than spiritual to fast for a period of time. I uh, had no medical intent, um, but what happened to me was truly eye-opening. I, I used to run an emergency room, so a very high-stress uh, job as a physician. I was one of the two bosses there, and, and running an emergency room, emergency medicine is, is a very um, intense, uh, anxiety-provoking, uh, sometimes exhausting uh, way to practice medicine. Um, and, and I like to work out and lift weights. And so I was <laughs> rather constantly in pain. And uh, when I went on this fast, I stopped eating a number of things. And for myself, including wheat and dairy, and all of a sudden, I, I realized I stopped having pain. My joint pain stopped. My muscle pain stopped. My acid reflux stopped. My 
psoriasis stopped. Uh, I slept better. I lost 12 pounds. Uh, my digestion came back to normal. I didn't appreciate that I had bad digestion. I thought my muscle pain was strictly from weightlifting and being anxious. I thought acid reflux is a, is a necessary side effect of being an emergency trauma physician. Uh, all of that came to a stop when I stopped eating these foods. And I, I said, aha, <laughs> aha, was a wonderful and very unexpected um, education. And when I sat with that for quite a while and started to discover what that truly meant, I looked back on my medical career with a completely different eye because I realized so many people had come to the emergency room to see me about so many complaints. And all of a sudden it became so very clear to me that it was food related. Now, having said that, this is, I had been going to a, a functional medicine physician. That's what they call it now when you, I suppose it was perhaps homeopathic in the in, in, in earlier times when they would use that phrase, but it's functional medicine. And, and, and essentially this physician's perspective is uh, not unlike the uh, rest of the Eastern world where, where the body heals itself if nourished thoroughly and the exposures to poisons, toxins, or intolerant foods is eliminated. Um, they have every expectation that Without drugs, the body can easily care for itself if it's not being continually assaulted. It took me some time, I suppose, to get over my personal education and perhaps arrogance to comprehend what he really meant by that. But having gone through that personally, I got it, suddenly got it. And I suppose that makes me a bit of an evangelist. And nonetheless, <laughs> I think it's a purposeful evangelism because. Um, because it's simply a matter of eating differently. So the, so I sort of brought that to the other half of the equation in starting Iroquois Valley Farms. And, um, and little by little by little, we began to appreciate the fact that the company is important for putting young uh, farmers back to work, uh, giving them access to land, uh, creating a completely different paradigm for them, but also offering a meaningful way to change our, our population's health by offering and hopefully inspiring others to offer organic food. So that was a bit of the, uh, original intention and and that's how I sort of discovered it so well what's beautiful I think about that you know as, as you're talking I'm I'm picturing a couple of uh, well I'm picturing an article which has been circulating for the last couple of weeks which was identifying the fact that the actual overload of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere now seems to be affecting the ability of plants to produce sufficient nutrition that we can then, you know, um, have available to ourselves when we eat them. Um, and, you know, that kind of goes on the back of a much longer established understanding through, through the, you know, Rodale even, uh, you know, the Rodale Institute in, in Pennsylvania, uh, one of the originators of the organic farming vocabulary, even if, even if it's got a longer, more ancient tradition. Um, and, and they're identifying that if you don't have the nutrients and the minerals um, available in the soil, there's no way for the plant to just magic those up. And so therefore they're gonna be missing in the food supply and therefore yeah. we won't have them. And there's kind of a direct, you know, there's, there's a direct chain there between uh, what the soil is able to deliver and, and our own health. But then on the other side, I'm, I'm also remembering a whole series of growing information, um, you know, growing in the sense of increasing constantly about our own microbial health and the fact that there's what, something like 10 microbes, for, uh, you know, microbial cells for every human cell in our bodies. I don't remember the exact ratio, maybe it's higher than that. 
but I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this relationship between the, the microbial balance in a healthy soil and proponents of organic and regenerative agriculture who talk about the fact that, look, if you just bring the soil and its complete biodiversity, its microdiversity back into healthy balance, then everything else follows from that. And you can almost, you can almost visualize it, this continuum from the you know, microbial diversity in the soil passing right up through the food plants and into our bodies. And for me, that's a lovely, it's actually a really, really lovely picture to imagine that coming back into health and balance. It, it, is, it is so very critical that, that we allow the, the balance that has been created for millenniums of time to be restored in our soil because the, I, I read a, uh, um, a research paper in the last few months by an MIT researcher whose name I've forgotten at the moment. I wish I had a button that showed me all these names, but it, it told me something that I thought that I was aware of, but really didn't comprehend thoroughly. And that was of course about gut health. Now, our gut, our colon, um, our intestines are really the leading um, uh, source of, of our immune protection. It's the most important beginner to our being healthy, our being able to fight off infection. And he stated that there are more gut bacteria in a healthy colon than there are cells in the in the human body which which i found a bit astonishing but it's but it's far more complex and important than that the symbiosis that exists between gut bacteria and our body's health is so critical um we have only so many dna patterns uh in our body it separates us from you know of course every other species on the planet. We don't percentage-wise have that much more different patterns than the original um, uh, bugs that were discovered um, and, and their genomes sort of mapped out. But one of the most important things about that is that our gut bacteria turn on and off our DNA switches to create proteins in our body. And without those gut bacteria working in harmony with the rest of our body's DNA, we don't produce proteins that are essential for our overall health. So anything that we're eating that's destroying that symbiosis is truly detrimental to our overall function. So having in the earth the right balance of these microbiomes and allowing them to live um, and be a, an important part of the food source that we eat, um, creating the density of nourishment that we need in each of our, uh, of our meals. It's, uh, we really won't be able to survive as a, as a population, which is one of my concerns about the continual and constant use of, of glycophosphates and organophosphates that are sprayed on the earth um, truly just destroys that entire balance by destroying all of those microbiomes that exist. So yeah, I think it's critical in the end. Yeah, if, if, I mean, even if you set aside the arguments for sort of egregious capitalism and, you know, other drivers for the, the you know, the promotion and, and, and continued production of these toxins, it's still very old paradigm thinking, isn't it? It's like the way to health is sterilizing everything. Yeah, sterilizing everything. We, we um, in our pamphlet that we send out, and if you haven't gotten one, we should send you one. <laughs> oh, please do. It states <laughs> that, um, I mean, we show a photograph, a, a picture of the Midwest, effectively, where many or most of our farms are. And it, and it, sort of gives a big picture of the use of glycophosphate or Roundup 
um, and it's many different, um, um, there's lots of different names for that same chemical by other uh, manufacturers, but if, <coughs> uh, excuse me, effectively, about 5 billion gallons were poured onto the earth in the last, uh, in a year's time, 5 billion gallons, right? And it shows the density of the spray in the Midwest. Now, California is also sprayed fairly densely, but it's, it, it's in the organophosphates and, and glycophosphates in the Midwest or in the uh, Mississippi River Basin. And the effect of that, as it spills into the rivers and then effectively then down the Mississippi and into the Gulf, is that there are thousands of miles of dead zone in the Gulf from the runoff of these chemicals. And it's, if you consider what that means and the fact that we're eating that continually in our diets, it's scary. It's, um, for me, it's, it's very sad. Well, it's also, it's also interesting. I, I, I don't know that I've seen anybody actually put this picture together to my satisfaction. But if you think about how the ocean is actually the origin of life on land, you know, and, and so like, what, are, what, is, what are the consequences um, chemically, biologically, climatically, and on some other level um, that is maybe more esoteric, it has to do with kind of, with our relationship as, as individuals and a species to the place we live, to be essentially poisoning the mother. Yeah. Yeah, we are doing exactly that with these chemicals that we're just continually dumping by the tonnage onto the earth. We're, we're destroying the very, very critical earth that we live in. And uh, we can't possibly, I don't see us surviving that way. It's, it's very troubling to me. But you guys, let's, I, I'm going to shift this back now yeah. um, over to something a little brighter. Um, because I think I think you know we we know and and I'm I'm presuming that the people who are going to eventually be listening to this also understand you know what the imperative is, what the urgency is. Uh, you know, we're we're kind of we're, we're reading from the same playbook. Um, but in terms of proactively developing solutions, you know, to this complex of issues and lending the tangible, concrete. Um, you know, meaningful support to the need to continually grow uh, the, the land base that we can bring into regenerative practices. And what you were doing there as um, Iroquois Valley Farms, I mean, I go back to where we started. This is, this is really a phenomenal initiative. Um, if, if I was a young farmer, uh, young family, um, you know, farmer in, in the Midwest, or um, I, I understand now you're, you're also uh, helping people out a little further afield than that. And I, and I came to you, what would be kind of a, maybe that's not a typical, but what would be a familiar way that we would begin that relationship between myself, a, a, either a need for a piece of land or a specific site and Iroquois Valley Farms. How would that go? Most of our farmers, and, uh, and I'm, I'm very excited about this because most of our farmers are now millennials. We, we do have several farmers who are um, about my age in the 60s, um, but most of our farmers now are much younger in their 30s. They, they typically uh, have been farming um, oftentimes conventionally, or their fathers were farming conventionally, and there may be more than one uh, a child in the family, so the farmer may have sibs. Um, the dad, the mom, the owner of the farm may be thinking about transitioning and stopping farming. He's getting up in age, she is as well, and they want to, um, they want to sell the farm, but they want to keep it in the family, and the young farmer doesn't have enough money to buy the entire uh, parcel of land. Um, so they, if they cannot get bank financing or FSA financing, uh, have oftentimes turned to us. 
Our requirement, of course, is that they farm the land organically if they want to be a meaningful part of Iroquois Valley. No herbicides, pesticides, but the young farmers are starting to get it. I think the, some of the older farmers um, have been doing what they've been doing for many, many years, and, uh, but the younger farmers don't want to be a part of that chemical process anymore, and so they will approach us about, about buying the land for them and allowing them to stay on the land and continue to farm it organically or to convert it from conventional to organic. That's most of the time the way that we have uh, enabled a farmer to farm. We, we do not buy farmland and then look for a young farmer to farm it. We buy farmland that has been brought to our attention by a farmer who wants to farm organically. So, but the fun, the fun thing for me about that, uh, among many, is that um, once the farmer starts to farm organically and once the farm starts to change, from basically the dead zone back to health, which uh, for certification's sake takes three years, probably for maturity take, sake takes at least six. But once that mature farm comes back, um, then it's able to produce as much per acre of whatever uh, grain it might be uh, using as any other conventional farm, which, which, is, which is a very exciting thing. So. Um, that's most of the time what happens. I got a phone call last Friday from a young farmer. Uh, we purchased, um, we had a, one of our earliest farmers, uh, Scott, uh, found a farm next to him up for sale. It was contiguous to his property. He really wanted to add on. And we went to an auction and, and were able to end up buying that farm. The farm next door um, the young man farming there has been watching Scott for some time and his success, and he now wants to try uh, to farm that farm. He called me last Friday to ask if we wouldn't consider buying the farm for him. So I, that's a very exciting thing for me because that's beautiful. they see that um, as opposed to what they perhaps have learned most of their life, that without chemicals you can't farm, they see Scott and, and some of our other farmers having wonderful success and without the chemical uh, on the farm and they decide they want to try and give it a try. So that's very exciting for me. That's very hopeful for me because that's, that's the transition that needs to happen. Well, that's a beautiful and, and you know, ancient process of kind of looking over the fence, right? Yeah. It's like, ah, his, his, his grass is a little bit greener, you know, what's, he, greener. <laughs> what's he using, what's, how's he doing that? Yeah. Um, and, and you I know, was that, also very excited because we, uh, this is another story, but it, worth telling, I think. Yeah. Um, we, had a, we had a pretty big drought here about three or so years ago here in the Midwest. Uh, with very little rain, which is really not typical. And, and, um, the organic farms that we had basically surrounded, uh, it was the island farm surrounded by non-organic farms. The non-organic farms were being plowed under in July. Really? An organic farm, which was able to retain more water and more carbon density and did not let the water run off, um, produced uh, enough grain not to qualify for uh, federal insurance. So that's, that's another wonderful benefit because the soil is retaining water and, uh, and the topsoil is not running off. Well, and, and that, moves, that moves us into an, another, I think, equally important concept around the land recovery. And we're, we're talking about how land recovery and soil recovery, you know, enables more nutritious, healthier crops enables, you know, those to enter into the human food chain, enables us to recover our own health. Um, you know, it, it's all very regenerative for, from my perspective. You're regenerating soil, you're regenerating the soil biodiversity, you're regenerating the livelihoods of the young farmers, the capability, but then you're regenerating the entire food chain. And, and that's, that's as it should be, I think. But when we talk about now the water, 
And in this case, we're talking about the drought and being able to retain enough water. But of course, there's the other extreme too, and especially with the way the climate change is kicking in these massive swings from one extreme to the other, there's that whole factor of organic soils being able to hold the water longer so that it doesn't just flood off and, and create you know, massive, massive destruction downstream. But what it, what it makes me wonder in terms of the strategy of Iroquois Valley Farms is have you got enough activity yet that you can actually start to take a look at the map um, and, and ask yourself, well, what would be a meaningful larger footprint for this activity? How many farms are out there and can we now start to picture ways in which we could be more strategic about encouraging bridge pieces? So that eventually, again, looking at the map, we could start to picture watershed impact. We, um, we, we understand that in the next perhaps 10 to 15 years, um, a majority, upwards of 70% of farms will change ownership primarily because of the age of the, of the active farmer there. And this is, uh, this is a very important um, and strategic time for us. If we can generate enough farms in enough places that produce well without chemicals, um, and perhaps as last week's event, inspire other farmers by doing so to consider uh, farming organically and without, without chemical pesticides, which by the way are expensive to use. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then, then we think that uh, we can make a meaningful change. Um, we, at this moment in time, have, I, I'm guessing 10 to 15 farms on the docket for us to purchase where the um the continual problem for dave and myself was we have to have enough money to buy the farm and once we have the money we have to have the farm to buy and right now it seems as though the word has gotten out and and um there are so many farms to buy we really just can't keep up we need more capital uh, so we're very excited about that. We're very excited about uh, the so, so work coming the, to us. How do you work the capital in? Do you work with investors directly? Um, well, I, to be fair, Dave uh, Miller has done most of that okay. um, in terms of he is just now, for example, getting back from, from California where they had a slow money uh, uh, institutional meeting and and many of our investors have come from, I would think now most of our investors come from, uh, from brokers, uh, money managers who take a fee rather than a percentage and therefore are allowed to invest in what they believe to be the best investment for their client. I think most of our investors have come now from that source. So. And but it's a constant uh, issue to generate awareness. We have, we have not uh, in the past been allowed to advertise, and we haven't advertised yet. So, and is uh, that an industry standard? Uh, it's an SEC regulation. Okay. And at this point in our business life, we sell um, uh, shares in Iroquois Valley Farm REIT. REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, which we just started this year to accredited investors. But our intention and our, and our expectation is that um, perhaps by early next year, we will have passed uh, Regulation A plus, and that will allow us then to both advertise to and sell shares to non-accredited investors to open the opportunity really to 90% of the rest of the world to start to invest meaningfully in something they believe in. So uh, who's, who is driving this search 
you know, which, which end is driving the search at this, at this moment in time? Is it, is it the investment advisors who have a, a, an idea of what's, what's out there? Or is it the actual investor who has come to the advisor and says, look, I want to do something around regenerative or organic or, um, you know, even environmental uh, impact? I think it's been, I think it's been the, um, the investor who has gone to the uh, investment advisor and said, I, I would like to invest in something that I feel is both safe and healthy and meaningful. And um, what do you have for me? Um, and so it's been then by uh, the next step is for those advisors to come to us and say, we have a list of, of people that want to invest. They can't invest yet because they're not yet uh, accredited. But perhaps in four or five years, maybe. So what are you doing to allow that to happen? So we've been working toward becoming a REIT and then a Regulation A REIT um, for some years. And uh, this, this is our first year where we accomplish that which is very exciting because I believe that we are the first organic farm REIT in the world. Well, congratulations on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. And, um, and the next step, it's truly important for us to get the rest of the world involved because, uh, so I think it has been the investor who has looked to do something meaningful with his or her money, uh, that has sort of pushed the, the whole notion, but um, uh, we're, we're delighted. We're delighted. We're going to take a break now. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind and Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind and Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind and Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa, who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind and Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M I N D A N D. M-E-D-I-A dot com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennon. Welcome back to Designers of Paradise. We're chatting with Steve Rivard from the Iroquois Valley Farms. Um, are you at this point um, trying to stimulate maybe, maybe other REITs in forming up in, in, in other areas? Or is, is there any kind of a, a network? out there where, where um, you could put in your success and offer to advise and, and maybe, maybe share some of the things that have worked so well where you are to get these started up in other areas? We, we um, have discussed the notion that we would have uh, competition, uh, although we don't really see it as competition. We're, perhaps like Tesla, rather encouraging of others to compete with us, mm-hmm. want um, anything that would stimulate, in my uh, medical and personal opinion, others to want to farm organically and without the risk of the herbicide and pesticide and genetically modified organisms, for me, would be a good thing. I don't, I feel safe in saying that Dave uh, Miller feels exactly the same way. Uh, so we don't see a competition as a bad thing. We're rather encouraging of it. Uh, having said that, we have been approached um, uh, recently in the past month by very large companies uh, who are also uh, B certified. So we are a corporation called a B certified corporation, a benefits corporation. And quite proudly, uh, we're... Um, voted the best uh, in the world last year by the, uh, by the certification committee. So there are other B certified companies uh, in the world that uh, a couple of which have approached us to find a meaningful way for them to be involved. 
with uh, agriculture, perhaps as an expansion of their own businesses, but um, also not wanting to reinvent the wheel have approached us to uh, try to figure out how they can be involved with us in terms of, of growing what we're doing. So we're exploring that even as we speak and very excited about the, the notion that we would um, partner with some of these major corporations in the States. Uh, certainly we would look to become international if that was um, um, a value. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're looking forward to it in, in many ways. So where do you think the gaps are right now in terms of being able to not, not just to influence other startups, uh, you know, to do something like, like what you're doing, but in the larger system that you're the ecosystem, basically of regenerative, which includes the farm, the food, the markets, the consumers, now the, the access to land. Where do yeah. you think the, uh, it, is, it has not been easy to start this company and to generate it for the last 10 years, um, mostly because it is in opposition of the present economic models that exist. Um, I'm not familiar with Europe, essentially, but certainly in America, where making a profit is essential um, and making a profit early enough is essential. Um, um, we have, it took us some time to, to finally make a profit. So it hasn't been an easy thing to do, nor would it be an easy thing to duplicate. Um, so that's one of the, one of the problems with others starting, getting started. They would have to, um, unless they had enough capital to, to do it on their own. We, we simply did not want to sell to large companies or take large company money initially because we needed to keep our mission um, rather pure. We didn't want to dilute our mission and what we were trying to accomplish uh, for the sake of growth. So we've grown slowly, uh, mostly by intent. So um, I'm hearing then that there's a gap in concept really, and that there's a gap as well in, in terms of uh, startup funding for something like this. In other words, if you had enough money, you could just kind of get up and go out and do it. And there are, there are those companies uh, who have a lot of funding, especially out in California and have gotten up and started to do it. The difference is that, um, and I hope that I'm speaking correctly, but I think so, that their model is simply that the farmer works for the company. Uh, our model um, is that the farmer works for the farmer and we work for the farmer. That's a significant difference. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. Um, we want to work for the farmer. We want to be on the farmer's side. And that relationship that we've created with the farmer has been critical to us becoming who we are. And for us to foster the trust of the farmers and the farm community has been, I think, invaluable um, because it makes it then easier to bridge the next gap. And the next gap is the farmer themselves simply deciding not to farm the way the generations ahead of them for the last two generations have farmed and to break away and to do it differently because it's painful for the first two years to stop using the chemical that has basically made your seeds grow <laughs> and, um, and to do it organically because the production then goes down for the first couple of years and it makes it, uh, um, you know, the income then drops, of course. So that's a big, that's a big bridge to, for the farmer to take the leap that they, in the end, will be better off farming organically and without herbicide and pesticide. Um, is an important consideration. So we have worked very hard at um, trying to find ways to help alleviate some of that burden for them in the first two years uh, so that they will have the opportunity. But the trust that we've gained from the farmers and then the local farmers inspiring those around them 
which is no easy task because oftentimes it's it's animosity and suspicion for the unknown rather than admiration uh, for them to finally inspire any other in their area to start to farm organically. Uh, it's been a great deal of fun. So, um, which is why I'm tickled that last week, the farmer next door <laughs> called to see if we would perhaps buy a farm for him to do it. And uh, so, yeah, it's very exciting. That kind of open that kind of opens up one more question, and I think we're going to be out of time. But um, yeah. and and so and so that starts to get it like a an indicator of success. Yeah, and I you know from from my background in 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 um, in design and um, and and restoration, you know, I'm always looking for for things like you know how how do we identify what's important in the system and then how do we work you know for that you put your finger uh, a couple minutes ago on something that i believe is is one of the most exciting aspects of what Iroquois Valley Farms is doing and it, it in some ways it's even more exciting than trying to safeguard the direct lineage between soil biota and and human health and that's this idea that a company would actually work for the farmer. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is exactly the, what, what we need in, in the shifting of paradigms to move into a, a fully regenerative uh, perspective on society and on land and, and, and on life. Um, but so you, you kind of mentioned, well, you did mention the, the, the next door farmer coming around and, and, and spontaneously asking, to you know to work with you and and, and that that's a real indication that, that you're doing the right thing and that you are succeeding in, in something you've set out to do if you were to look 10 years down the road and ask yourself how would our how, how would our geographic area but also how would our area of activity look different if if uh, things continue to build in a good direction from where you've started, what would that 10-year picture look like? What would be I, indicators? I think that um, as I try to answer your question, I have an image of a map in my head. And we, Iroquois Valley Farms uh, REIT now has a presence in, I believe, 14 states uh, of farmers. 26 or 27 states of investors. Um, and we have sort of painted in green in these, in these states where we have farmers farming. And in the next 10 years, I'd like to just take a paintbrush and paint the rest of the United States green because um, it, it, there's some difficulties to it. For example, uh, Iowa and Wisconsin don't allow us to purchase land. Minnesota is the same. We can't purchase land in those states because we're a corporation. So in response to that, we, we morphed a bit and became a finance company for those farmers that can't get conventional financing. And so now we're helping the farmer in those states purchase land by, by way of becoming the bank. So we will continue to morph and change and, and hopefully inspire over the next 10 years so that we can begin to continually expand um, our presence uh, in an effort to give hope, really. Hope's the most important thing we can give um, to the farmers who really want to make a difference and change. Uh, I think that's where we're gonna go. And I, and I hope that we can accomplish that. So if, if you were to look at one of those town communities in, the, in a nicely green brushed map, 10 years from now, talk of, just give me a couple minutes talking about, about the activity you might see in that town, some of the relationships that are, have been made possible because of, of enough land being taken up by young farmers doing regenerative practices, um, maybe healthier kids in the schools because the food they're getting is coming directly off those farms. Give us a kind of a little like a walk-in picture. 
Well, my, my, my vision, I suppose, would be um, that um, with, with more and more farmers turning to organic, less pesticides, less chemicals being sprayed, less poison, quite frankly, being sprayed, that community health would improve and, and community hope would improve. Um, better water, safer water to drink, um, safer soils, cleaner air. All of this is truly possible. It's truly possible. Many of the problems that we face with pollution and and the safety of our foods and the safety of our waters and the, and the safety of the air. Um, Iroquois Valley really does believe that we're the, we're the answer. We're the solution. Um, by regenerating the soil and bringing it back to, to life, by cutting back on the, those chemicals that would harm us physically, restoring the earth, Restoring the bees, restoring the pollinators, uh, all of this, all of this can be accomplished. And we want to be a very meaningful, if not inspiring part of it. That's a good note to end on, I think. Um, if, if people are really excited and they want to contact you for more information, what's the best way? We send them to your website or? Yeah, come to the website. It's uh, it's very simple to use, and uh, there's lots of stories about us on our website, and it will it will link uh, you with the people that um, you need to be in contact with uh, to either find out about us or to invest with us. Um, and there's a couple of different ways to invest, either by buying shares and owning equity, or by uh, buying debt for a percentage, which is, by the way, much better than the banks. <laughs> So um, uh, yeah, go to the website, Iroquois Valley Farms REIT, and we'd be delighted to, to connect. Super, well, I really yeah. appreciate your time today. And for me, it's been a really stimulating conversation. Great, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of Designing Paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.